0: I'm honored and excited to announce that I Want to Know has their first sponsors. First, Dr. James McIntyre and his team at Adjust Your Health in North Calgary. When I met Dr. James almost 20 years ago, I was taking a bucket load of Advil every week just to get through my day, like 16 to 20 a day. Not to mention the alcohol and other substances I would take at night so that I could sleep. I suffered from chronic back pain due to car accidents, sports injuries, and repetitive motion damage from being uh, in the drywall industry. I worked in the trades for nearly 20 years, had more than 10 car accidents, 3 very serious ones, and some severe sports-related injuries. Most of the chiros I saw could only give me temporary relief. I was, uh, it was getting expensive and very depressing to know that I would see some of these chiros and only get temporary relief but wake up the next morning in pain. I was lucky that the last chiro I saw said she couldn't help me and directed me to Dr. James McIntyre. After only a few visits, I felt tremendously better. Most of my pain had left, my mobility was coming back, and I didn't need as much Advil. If I remember right, it was only a few months, and I was almost completely off the pills. Life was getting better. I've known Dr. James and his crew for almost 18 years. I've referred almost everyone I know to him, and they have become Adjust Your Health advocates. The team at Adjust Your Health offers a wide array of services, including acupuncture, massage therapy, chiropractic, and physiotherapy. They believe in a multidisciplinary approach to patient care and use a variety of techniques to help the patient achieve their goals, from pain relief or injury resolution to improving sports performance. Calgary is very privileged to have such a highly qualified team of practitioners available to accommodate your health and well-being needs. If you are in pain or an athlete or just want to be as healthy as possible, check them out at www.calgary.com. A-Y-H Calgary Our next sponsor is Paul Nye, an amazing artist out of Averge, Alberta. I've admired his artwork for years. He's been mostly doing airbrush work to customize motorbikes, cars, boats, hard hats, and signs. The work is stunning to see. You can get all your custom work done with Paul at Reaper Creations at 3700 McCool Street, Crossfield, Alberta, just a half hour north of Calgary that's not all. I don't want to take the light away from his airbrushing, but his tattoos are out of this world. His ability to bring tattoos to life with shading and color will astound you. The skill set he has as an airbrush artist transferred seamlessly to tattooing. You can get your next tattoo with Paul at Shellshock Tattoo and Piercings at 920 36th Street, Northeast Calgary. We have featured some of his art on our YouTube video and we have had him on the podcast. Paul is second to none as an artist and a person. You can also check out his art at Nice Tats or Nice Touch on Facebook and Instagram. And now on with the show.
1: I want to
0: know podcast with
1: Chad Ferguson.
0: Hey everybody, this is Chad from the I Want to Know podcast, a kick-ass podcast. I'm here today with my friend Emily Caron from Eco Synergy. They do uh, house modeling and house testing and uh, how's it going?
1: It's going well. Awesome, awesome.
0: Yeah, it is a good day. I uh, i got to go uh, shooting today, so I finally got my pal license in the mail. And so me and Eric went out and bought a bunch of bullets and we hit it out to my friend's property and we started firing off our 22, which turns out is sort of garbage. Uh, it got passed down, and uh, I may not be the best shot, but the gun's kind of the uh, what's the place called? Cabela's offered me $6.50 for the gun. <laughs>
1: That's all right. (laughs) I think I could
0: get more at the scrapyard (laughs) for the metal in there. So we met probably three years ago. Do you remember how we met?
1: We met... I can't remember if you contacted us or we heard about Beyond Foam. Yeah. And we met in your office with uh, Darren. Darren, yeah. And then we... We educated or had some conversations around building envelope and how we felt about it and yeah. do's and don'ts type of things. And right. But I can't remember who contacted who. I don't
0: either. I'm drawing a total blank. It must be over two years ago because that's kind of yeah. my line in the sand. <laughs> two years, it's that's gone. Your, your short-term memory. <laughs> yeah. Two years, okay. Yeah, I'll get that mic just a little bit closer to your mic. Perfect. Um, yeah, so you you build or deal with building envelope like we do but in a different way. So yeah. at Beyond Foam, we're an insulation company. So pat and Pelly, cellulose, spray foam, um, attics, trailers, whatever. I'm not doing an ad for Beyond Foam. That's not what we do. <laughs> um, but you guys actually do the math and you do the the energy assessments on home. So what does that entail?
1: Well, what we do is um, basically we're a building science consulting firm. Mm-hmm. So we do all the energy simulations for code, which is a lot of our bread and butter right now because there's a big demand for it. Yeah. Uh, as you know, no one can get a building permit without having an energy code review. Right. And these codes are changing. Every so, two years.
0: So explain that to people. They're, they're, you could do prescriptive, which yeah. is the the very basic that the city or the province or the county puts out um, for safety. That's the minimum requirements that you have to achieve, right?
1: Um, I wouldn't describe them as the minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, the easiest way I describe the uh, prescriptive path is that it's more like a cake recipe. Yeah. The billing code tells you what it wants, and every component of the house, so roof, ceilings, windows. It gives you a target. Yeah. And you have to prove and make sure that everything you're going to put in your house meets those targets. Correct.
2: Um, I like that description, actually. It's
1: an all or nothing thing. It's really just a guide and a checklist and you make sure. So for the, the building shell and the envelope, basically, they'll tell you how much R value you need. Yep. And that's where our math comes in. And we need to show that each component meets that target when you include the thermal bridging. Right. So it's a little different than the previous codes because the previous codes didn't include thermal bridging. Right. They only included what we call the nominal value. So an R20 bat would be an R20 wall. Right. Whereas now an R20 wall is more like an R15
0: effective. Correct, because they're taking because you're the taking all the wood out. So thermal bridging for people that don't know is the studs on your exterior wall are essentially inside and outside the home. And if you're in a bat and poly house, actually they're all outside your building envelope because they're on the exterior of the poly, and that's kind of your line in the building envelope, right?
1: Well, yeah. The way I describe it is any component that bridges the inside to the outside, Correct. whether it's a window frame, a stud, a yep. cantilever, yeah, a ceiling truss, yep. a beam anything that bridges or that connects the outside environment to the inside environment. And there's a lot of heat losses in those areas.
0: Right. So um, in the prescriptive part of the building code, they talk about if your studs are 16 on center, you have to have an R higher R value between. So you go from an R 22 to an R 24 now. And if you're, 24 inches on center then you're allowed to drop down to an r22 and then depending on the amount of windows and that you have you may actually be able to drop down to an r20 and also your exterior cladding is part of the equation now which i don't know that they may be in the beginning calculated it but now it's being calculated um, on every house even when you do prescriptive
1: yes for the prescriptive path we would include the exterior uh, finish although for the most part unless you're using uh, um a A stucco system with exterior insulation. Yeah. Um, The difference between metal clad, vinyl clad, hardy board, you know, there's all air in there, so it's it's a very small difference. Yeah. But yes, the insulation between the studs will differ depending on the stud spacing, because again, we're looking at the effective R value. So the less wood you have, the lower the R value of the insulation can be for the same. Because less thermal bridging,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly hope this isn't too technical for people who are listening. I'm trying to break it down because <laughs> I speak about this stuff every single day like you do. And sometimes we, um, when I'm doing sales in foam, I get to see the person in front of me and I get to watch them glaze over when I get too technical. And then you got to bring it back to something that they can actually picture in their head or understand to, to be able to effectively uh, sell the product, right? So,
1: Well, if people want to know what thermal bridging looks like in the fall and in the spring... Or even in mild days in winter, mm-hmm. you can walk outside your house and you're going to see early morning or evening that you're going to have lines on your house. Yes. And the lines are melted snow. Right. Or melted ice. <laughs> so where you don't have ice is where you have your thermal bridge. Right. And which would you be do the stud ice. or so the beam. So you will or see or the bridging. Yeah. yeah. The outside, which is kind of cool. It's the best time to troubleshoot it. Oops.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's best time to thermal scan a house too, right? Yeah. And you get those temperature differentials. But and you need can those say.
1: temperature differentials for it to work. Yeah. So in summer, it's more difficult. Yeah. But in winter, it's great.
0: So your biggest thing right now is um, energy modeling a house so that they don't have to follow prescriptive, or maybe they, they want to achieve something better than prescriptive. Yes. And so what you're looking at, uh, and correct me because I know I don't know the, your side of the industry as well as I know my side of the industry, is that you're essentially looking at, you know, how much sunlight how much coal direction of the house amount of windows amount of like you're calculating everything, everything. that's going in there yep. and then uh, you put out a formula of what they need to achieve the uh, energy requirements they're trying to is that oh correct? there's no
1: formulas it's a lot simpler than that oh, okay Yep. Yeah, the only thing we want to know is how much energy the house you want to build is going to use mm-hmm. and then how does that compare to that same house built to the prescriptive requirements
2: Okay. In a model. So
1: it's a comparison. Okay. And as long as you're equal or better. Yeah. Today, anyways, it's going to change in the future. But right now, um, then you're okay. You yeah. You can get a building permit. So energy modeling, yes, it's for building code and, and minimums you need to get a building permit. But what we like to thrive on is a little bit deeper than that is not only... You know, getting a building permit, but also through the modeling piece, um, understanding or being able to predict a little bit how the indoor environment of the house will work out. Right. So comfort, you know, uh, the kind of glazing you're going to have on what side of the house, what's that going to do? Yeah. What's going to happen with your cooling load? Do you need... Do you have a cooling load? Do you want an air conditioning, or do you not want an air conditioning? Right. What's important to the homeowner?
0: The uh, th- that's actually very interesting because I never thought about it from that side. Because we see it all the time, like a brand new house getting built, and the you know basement walls are condensating or they're getting uh, attic rain inside their mm-hmm. attic, and you know they'll they'll uh, come to us saying, "Can you solve this?" And so typically, it's the vapor barrier, the air barrier that's not working properly. In most systems, it's the vapor barrier, um, the the poly that's not acting properly it's not stopping the air from I, I, I feel like I'm not using the right uh, termination <laughs> yeah, terminology yeah um, so you're getting hot air going into a cold space and that's call, causing condensation um, and what most people don't realize is that it's I know you don't like the term bare minimum, but the city isn't taking into account everything that can happen inside of a house or no. taking an average. And so, you know, if you like your house at 35 or 40% relative humidity and it's minus 20 outside and you just have Bat and poly in your house and it's done by a regular tradesperson, a good tradesperson, you're probably going to get some condensation in your attic because you're going to get a lot of um, moist air leaving the house and entering into that cold space. Um, so my terminology—I know you wanted to uh, <laughs> correct me.
1: Well, there's always been a big um, confusion in industry between what a vapor retarder, vapor barrier is, and what an air barrier is. Yeah. I don't want to get into technicalities because it gets really confusing. Yeah. But in a nutshell, most there's there's four different um, main triggers for envelope failures. Yeah. The biggest one is water infiltration. So when your windows aren't tied in properly, you have a chimney leaking, like direct water Flashings, from the outside. Flashings, blue skins, that kind all of stuff. that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then the second one is air leakage, yeah. not so much vapor. Right. So the key to an air barrier is that it can be any material that is, you know, compliant with a certain amount of uh, how much air it can let through itself. Right. So as one piece. Um, so the way you want to think about an air barrier is think of a balloon. Yep. When you blow air in the balloon, the balloon's airtight.
0: Yep.
1: What happens if you put a really tiny hole in that balloon?
0: The air seeps so out slowly.
1: So you don't have an air tightness. Right. What if you do a big hole in that same balloon?
0: Then it's just going to shoot same all over your house. Same thing.
1: And you lose your air right? <laughs> yeah. So the key is you can't have a half-pot bubble.
0: Right. A hole, is what, a hole is a hole is a hole.
1: hole. <laughs> it doesn't matter where it is. Doesn't matter how big it is. Yeah. The that's that's the difficult piece of air bears is that it, it's a system. It's an assembly of a whole bunch of different materials that have one characteristics in common. Yeah. And the, how they're all tied in together. Right. So that's the difficulty, and it's very. Uh, it can be very labor intensive, and yeah. it can be not so labor intensive. But that's the bigger that's the bigger piece. So. How much water vapor is traveling through your house to the outside, mainly in Canada? It's mainly from inside to out. Right. And how much dryability do you get? So can you dry that amount of moisture that travels through your house without it rotting anything?
0: Right. So that's the attic rain question, right? Do I have enough ventilation in my attic? this is my argument with my side of the industry that I I tell people like in basements in um, our climate zone which is 7A, Calgary and Airdrie, I think up to Red Deer and down to Lethbridge or Medicine Hat something like that um, that uh, we frame our basements the frost wall in our basements an inch off the concrete (laughs) to allow an airspace behind the bass because they know the poly's going to fail they know it's going to condensate and so they want to leave air in there or room in there for air to move so that we can get rid of that moisture that builds up on the uh, the concrete. That's not how you understand it?
1: That was not my understanding of why there's an I'd love to hear your side. Um, My understanding is because concrete sweats, for the most part. So so where
0: does the moisture come from then? The ground. Oh, from outside outside in. in.
1: And you don't want a fiber-ish material. To Touching touch up the concrete. It. That's why if it's styrofoam, you can screw it or glue it directly to the concrete. There's no airspace there.
0: Yeah. Well, then if there's no airspace, there be no condensation. In my story as well, right? So if you have it tight and there's no airspace, then there's nothing to to condensate.
1: Well, not always. Um, we have seen uh, polystyrene, styrofoam installed to the concrete, and there was mold behind. The concrete, between the concrete and the EPS, right? So, it's really, it's a a system thing. So, how much moisture can travel through again?
0: Eight inches of concrete.
1: So, if you take your whole house, your roof, your walls, your. so how much moisture can travel in and out? Yeah. And where does it have to dry? And how do you dry it? So, whether it's outside with wind and just gravity, quote unquote, or inside the house with Ventilation systems and exhaust fans, and yeah. how do you control that? Because ultimately, we're just buying time on how to get through seasons.
0: Right. Right? Because
1: yeah. the conditions are in reverse in summer.
0: Yeah. I was just about to mention that cause it's one of my pet peeves with the bat and poly system, and we do it all the time, and, and bat and poly can work well if it's done properly and you know, some time and effort is put into sealing it up properly. But the poly is supposed to be on the warm side of the insulation. So anyone that doesn't understand that if your inside of your house is 20 degrees and the outside of your house is, say, zero degrees, the poly has to be right behind the drywall. Mm-hmm. But the opposite is true in the summertime is that if it's uh, 33 degrees, uh outside and you want your inside at 18 degrees your poly is now on the on mm-hmm. the wrong side and so that fiberglass bat is essentially not doing anything for you and you're relying only on the vapor barrier as because uh, there's no place maybe I'm not describing that properly. The uh With the poly being on the wrong side, there's the you can still get condensation on the inside of the building because it's colder than what the outside air is. And in a bat and poly system, when the um when it's cold outside and warm inside, that bat helps slow down the warm air that's going into that cold air space, Uh, therefore it doesn't condensate or frost as quickly, still can. Um, I pulled off. Let's stick to one topic. I'm going to go off on a tangent. It's As good
1: to hear somebody else's explanation because it's always refreshing on how people process this. It's yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah, and I've got no actual <laughs> technical training on this at all. It was all stuff that you know I watched videos or did on my own or when I renovated houses and pulled them apart. I'd be like, why is there frost uh, like the, this bat glued to the exterior wall with frost. Mm-hmm. We've seen that lots doing yeah. demolitions in wintertime. And uh, um, it took me a while to figure out, well, that's what's happening is that that outer wall is cold and the vapor barrier or the air barrier is not working properly, so a lot of that hot air is getting into that uh, wall cavity, and it's frosting on the OSB, and yep. therefore it's all sticking there. And, and OSB is horrible, because once it gets wet, it just doesn't, it doesn't dry out, back, it yeah. rots, it's, it's, it's gross. I think that's the one product in our industry we should just be done with.
1: It has its place. Yeah. Um but yes, it's it doesn't dry as well as plywood, and because of the glue content, as soon as the glue dissolves or something, you can't really, it doesn't have that expanding potential that
0: It's essentially like has. a sponge. It soaks up it water is, and then yeah. doesn't let it go. You leave a sponge on your counter and it stays wet for days, right? Well, that's oh, what yeah. happens with OSB inside your home uh, or your exterior walls or your floors that get wet. So yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my pet peeves in, in the construction industry is OSB, but... Oh yeah, and that's fine. Neither here nor there. I
1: I just if that's okay, because I do get my pet peeves. Can can I explain the difference between summer and winter conditions? Yeah, absolutely. So um insulation is insulation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What it it doesn't matter where it is. Insulation thermally breaks inside and exterior environments. So that's what it does. Yeah. So in a winter context, you have your vapor retarder on the inside, which is your poly in this case. Yeah. And then you said that you've seen some frosting or some, like the bat was glued to the OSB. And yes, and that's mainly due to um, air leakage, not so much vapor traveling through the material. Polyethylene is very vapor tight. Yeah. You have to push a whole lot of water pressure to push vapor through the membrane. Right. It's what happens around it.
0: Right, all the, right. the staple holes, the joints, all yep. that. Yep,
1: poly hats, poly top-bottom plates, yep. lapping, those types of things. Correct. So in a winter condition, you're going to have some moisture traveling through. Yep. And then what's going to happen is summer happens. So now your OSB, if it's not too wet, it's just a little wet, yep. it'll dry off and you're good for another cycle. And then, like you said, in the summer, the, the thing oh. reverse, right? So now it's cool on the inside and... Warm on the outside. Yeah. Now, the big difference between summer and winter is what we call a temperature differential. Right. So in winter, we keep our house at 20 degrees-ish. Yep. And outside might be minus 25.
0: Right. So 45 degree temperature differential or more sometimes. Or more sometimes.
1: So how does that look in the summer? You keep your house at 25 inside, 22
0: 18, I think, would probably be the outside of that. That would be the would coldest the you'd want your yeah, yeah,
1: most people don't go much lower than 70 Fahrenheit. Right,
0: which is 22 degrees. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then
1: outside, it's hot, hot day, 35 degrees.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's rare. And for a short period of time. And a short period of time.
1: <laughs> so the temperature differential is what? Seven? Um, uh, yeah, seven degrees, right? eight degrees, Not much. worst. So what we would like to call the temperature pressure in reverse is very small. And then what happens at 10.30 in the summer every day? Nightfall. Absor- right. You drop again. Yeah. So everything dries up. Yeah. So to have condensation inside the house, because that's where it would happen. It would happen on the inside of the poly.
2: Yeah. Like between so the bat and the, the poly. Yeah. Because yeah. your
1: bat is, again, preventing heat from it getting to that drywall.
0: Exactly. Because
1: the heat transfers in reverse. Yeah. So it's just, we're it's playing with time. Yeah. That's all we're doing. We're just buying time.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's just physics. You can't stop it just have to know how to work with it.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we run into lots is that, you know, we'll, we'll go into a newer neighborhood, say like a five or seven-year-old home. Um, you know, the codes were um, very similar to what they were today. Uh, the, what they, the inspectors were doing or the contractors were um, looking for was very similar to what it is today. But yet, one home on a straight will have massive amounts of attic rain um, and or, you know, frosting in their basement where when it warms up a little bit, it all comes seeping out underneath. Uh, and the others, they'll talk to their neighbors like, yeah, not getting not getting not getting it. And so I boil it down to uh, a couple of things that could be happening. One, you had the the dumbest insulator in your house and everyone else got a better insulator. Mm-hmm. So the, the poly in your house may be not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, is I kind of, describe it like people when when me and you go stand outside on a minus five day you're going to feel it differently than i'm going to feel it and houses are the same way and a lot of times that's just tunnels of air or sections of ground that have more moisture in it that they'll be colder or warmer or whatever it happens to be less uh, vapor drive on uh, some houses than on others underground and uh, people have a hard time wrapping their brain around how that their house may react differently than the one right beside them
1: yeah, construction practices make a big difference for groundwater. There's so many different ways to waterproof a foundation. Yeah. Most times we go for the tar. cost effective one. <laughs> right. There's a whole story around tar. They're better systems. Mm-hmm. But obviously, um I mean and it's unfortunate, but homeowners don't don't ask about this. No, never. They never ask about it. Why didn't my
0: builder tell me about this? Because they're not going to. They want to get in and get out as fast as they can.
1: They they do it by code, which is the minimum. And I think that's the big thing that we have to remember is that the National Building Code really...
0: It's a safety code. It's
1: it's a safety code. And it's it's minimum across the country, which is through four different climate zones. Yeah. And it was developed so people quote unquote wouldn't die right. in their houses. Okay. <laughs> we're house far doesn't fall from apart. comfort yet. Yeah. The houses <laughs> not fall apart. It won't catch fire. And the moisture problems or mold potential won't kill you. Right. Kay? Mold's <laughs> so, unpleasant. So, so we're but... very far away from comfort and durability here. Yeah. Right. And and that's a thing that industry and homeowners don't they don't know, they don't want to know, or they don't ask. There's a there's a breach in information between right. the owner's expectations. The homeowners, they they go in a show home and they see all the they're pretty, right? Oh, the super nice countertops <laughs> and the nice paints. Oh, look at that thick trim and yeah. But ultimately, and I'm sorry because I'm very I'm not a very uh, aesthetically driven person. <laughs> I'm the same way, right? It's probably I, why we're friends. I'm really <laughs> interested in what's behind the drywall. What is over top? yeah I can fix easily. It changes every five years. It gets prettier right. and prettier every time. and I'm always impressed by how pretty everything looks. right. But it's quite interesting. I did a presentation at um, the Tesla service the Tesla Service Center uh, not too long ago. yeah, and I was building the parallels between a high performance house and a high performance car. right. And the first question I asked to the crowd was how many hours did they spend? You know, researching their next vehicle. Right. And it went anywhere from four to 40 hours.
0: Yeah. And this is a small purchase, right? This is a $50,000, $70,000 purchase. But
1: even, you know, e- put it six figures.
0: Yeah. Say $100,000
1: car. $100,000 car. It's still a lot less than a house. Yeah. Right? Chances are you're also gonna turn it around quicker. Right. Right? Yeah. Even if it's a 100 grand car, somebody might just say, oh, I want the latest and greatest. So two years later, it might be a lease. Right. Right? But they want the performance, right? They want to get from A to B in comfort, yeah. right? And, and uh, in, in soundproofing and, and nice and comfy chairs, <laughs> right. and right to do their the fifteen minute commute every everything. day. <laughs> and then, if you ask them how much time they spent shopping for a house, usually it's one of the first show homes they looked at. Yeah,
2: they
1: they go on Google, maybe they'll look at the Google reviews, but then they're gonna decide if a good builder from a not so good builder is. It's only on, oh, I had some problems with it, they fixed it right away. Right. How about getting a house that you don't have to see your builder ever again?
0: Right. Yeah, I I, right? I agree wholeheartedly. Like the you're you're making a half million dollar purchase as an average in Alberta. Yeah. And I've been in houses that people were paying Four and a half five million dollars on, and they're doing like Bat and poly, and the contractor's doing it. He didn't even hire a a, a drywaller or, or a professional insulator. They're just letting their their guys on site bang the poly up, and I'm like, "Wow, really?" You know, and I've had work in the home and garden show, like you were saying earlier about, you know, educating themselves. People come in, they're like, how much for spray foam? Yeah. And I'm like, well, what do you got? Oh, it's going to be around this price. And your bat and poly is going to be about this price. So it's this much more than than your bat and poly system. Oh, well, that's that'd be all my countertops. I'm like, yeah? Yeah. 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 But the money you save in five or seven or ten the years would potential, buy, right? There's right. a lot more to
1: it. You can't. It's really hard to compare. And I feel that, um, so we're getting into what we call um, integrated project deliveries. Okay. So it's a concept that's been around in commercial for quite some time. But my partners and I are working at bringing this to the residential industry. Awesome. And what this is, it's kind of reversing a little bit the way we, we approach financially the build mm-hmm. of a house. Yeah. So typically, you know, you meet your clients, they tell you what they want. And then you find out you can't build it for their budget. Yeah. And then, or you go for tender, right? So it's a little bit backwards. Yeah. Whereas how we approach it is what's your budget? Yeah. And then we'll design to your budget. Very cool. Right? So instead of saying, I want a 3,000 square foot house, I have 500,000. Okay. What are your priorities? Right? Okay. Is it comfort? Is it drafting? Is it oh i hate my living room because i can't see crap in it yeah too much done right or i have a new hairdo sitting at the bottom of my stakers because there's such a big draft yeah that kind of stuff so we we go through the the deal breakers and then we would help them and their designer design something that would work with their lifestyle practicality yeah might not be a three thousand square foot house might be a 2,500 square foot house, but would serve them better right? within their budget.
0: So are you guys doing design as well, or is it just the modeling?
1: No, we do the consultancy. So we use the simulation tool with the designers and the engineers awesome. and the architects. Yeah, yeah. So we like to see ourselves as the, um, the mediators of mm-hmm. the group. So mm-hmm. we know enough about each discipline to just get in trouble. Right. And we bring all this information together through a simulation model, and, and we try to estimate or anticipate what's going to happen before the house gets built. Right. And so then our favorite client is working directly for the homeowner, no matter who the builder is, because ultimately they will have to decide between aesthetics, practicality, and energy efficiency or durability. They're kind of in the same because um, there's another stigma out there that so energy efficient house is not necessarily comfortable. Okay. But if you build for comfort, Inherently, you're going to have an energy efficient house. Right. So we drive a lot of our conversations around comfort. Yeah. And one of our biggest roadblocks is Canadians are great, but they don't know what comfort is. <laughs> they have we're no we're used to suffering. What, but we adapt. Yeah. Right? It's the glory of the human nature. Yeah. And the only way we can appreciate something is if we live it in an experience. That's why cars sell. Because yeah. you can experience it before you buy it. Right. But you can't experience an house. You can't go into a show home. House yeah. Before you buy it. So Can't go really sit in really the show hard. home for
0: three weeks and no, see, or three really seasons, four right? seasons, yeah.
1: So it's a long-term thing. So you have to try to explain it with lifestyle um, examples type of thing. Yeah. But it's very hard sell. Yeah. Although, you know, we would be able to cross all
0: those T's and
1: make sure they'd be happy, but...
0: I I I know where you're coming from from the sales point of view because we see that all the time where people are like, well, my bat and palley house is fine. Like, yeah, it, you got used to it, but you're yeah. you're pouring out this much. Well, I don't care. I got money. I'll pay the gas bill. Yeah. Okay. So pay that's why comfort
1: I feel is a stronger piece. But if mm-hmm. you have to define that, so in America not just Canada, there's this thing that to feel hmm. It's like a, um, like keeping up with the Joneses or to feel that you're succeeding in life. Yeah. Like the dream is to own
2: bigger, a prettier. single
1: family detached house yeah. on a piece of turf. Right. Right. And fences. Yeah. So you have to have fences. <laughs> I don't want to see my neighbors. Okay. You have to have your fences. So thinking of that, you ask them, well, why would you want that versus a row house or mm-hmm. a luxurious condo? oh, well, I don't want to hear my neighbors. I don't want to smell them. I don't want right. to, you know. But I don't know. I'm in a single detached house and I hear my neighbor.
0: Yep, we do too. And
1: I hear the, bear, the, the bears, the birds. No
2: bears. <laughs>
0: the birds. We haven't had bears right? in, in our in area, a long no, time. No, no, we're good. We're good. Yeah. It's bamf, not
1: that
2: Yeah.
0: One. yeah.
1: <laughs> but it's just this mental state that to be comfortable, you have to be individualized. Like, yeah. so if you go to Europe... It's a completely different model. Yeah. Like everything is high density. Everything is together. And people are not unhappier. Like they're built properly. They're built out of concrete. Yeah. Right? And they don't hear their neighbors yeah. at all. Right. Right? They have common spaces and, and they, they share everything. It's a different mindset. I get it. But I feel that if we could really make the case for comfort yeah. whether it's a single family or a row house. And row houses are more affordable. Yeah, And condos, like condo boards and all that logistic, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah. as far as the building goes, yeah. you can get a lot out of a condo tower.
0: I, uh, I blame it all on the comfort level that we actually have. So our comfort level is way too high. There's nothing <laughs> that Canadians struggle with. So they find stuff to bitch about. <clears throat> um, being like, go look at anyone's social media. So anywhere are we do our mortgage five years uh, at a time, which most people do, and so at about four years or four and a half years, we always go look at new houses because it's always fun and like, are we ready to upgrade? Do we want to spend that kind of money? What are we going to get for that kind of money? How long is it? You know, we look at all that stuff every five years just to see if we're in the right place. But we always go into the social media of that area, whatever neighborhood it is, you know, Hillsong or whatever, and we log in on Facebook and and uh, um, get accepted into that community online, and then we read through it. And the amount of people that complain about their neighbors, I'm like, really? You're complaining about the guy because he's got a dog? Like, are, are, I just, it, I can't even fathom your life being so horrible that that dog is the trigger that's setting you off in the morning. <laughs> I, I have you know. a neighbor just moved in. He's got a big wolf. Literally, he's got a wolf next door, and he's jumping on our fence, which is nearly ready to fall down. So we got to do something with that. Because now of fence. I have a yeah. Now <laughs> I have a, a hundred and fifty or hundred and seventy pound dog leaping onto that fence every day now. So you have
1: your poops too.
0: Yeah, and he's not much of a fence crawler, but uh, the fence is very, very old and and very, very weak. So we're going to have to replace it. But it, I don't see that worth complaining about. And that's that whole. I don't think Canadians even know how comfortable their lives really are. Like at we different levels, yeah. We've got it so good here. Yes. Like you could go walking at, you know, you're what, five two, five three. 5'3". Uh, Thank you. Yeah? No? No. Close? Under. Under okay, <laughs> <laughs> you look taller. No, I'm 5'1. Okay, five, you know. so <laughs> but you're 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 a little lady, and and uh, to go walking at night at ten eleven o'clock, yeah. you feel very safe in Airdrie, and then we no, were anywhere in, in Canada, yeah, really. Yeah, unless you went to like Maine and Kiefer in Vancouver or downtown Toronto, maybe, maybe, but
1: even then, the downtown city centers like They're some safe. city centers have like no go zones. Mm-hmm. But if you're aware of them, you just don't go there. And chances are, as a tourist, it's not where you'll want to be anyway.
0: No, it's just if you happen to get lost, it's and even then, you're you're not at a high risk. So, my whole point is that our lives here are so comfortable, and yes. like, well, oh, what's the big deal if we have to spend an extra thirty or forty dollars in the winter months, or a hundred dollars in the winter months on on uh, energy? Yeah, they don't think about that at all right? until
1: they start costing too much.
0: Mold, condensation, well, mold,
1: or even when like Alberta. We have really cost effective energy here. Mm-hmm. Like even our electricity is in that bad. Right. But you probably remember, uh, was it nine years ago? Yeah. Where, how much was the gigajoule of gas?
0: Oh, it was so bad back then. It was like then, $11
1: or something. Yeah. And now we're at two.
2: You're
0: right. Yeah.
1: So at $11 a gigajoule, I was swamped.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because people were like, Okay, I need a job raise. Like, I need to change career to make my, my energy bills. Right. Right? But right now, like in today, yeah, Canada, is, it's hard. We have a lot of natural resources. We have clean air. You know, we have space. Yeah. We have decent... Um, you know lifestyles like across the country not just in Alberta. Yeah. We're not we have nothing to complain about.
0: And that I think is a problem because when life is and this it won't make it better for our businesses at all but when life is difficult when there's high risk of uh, abuse or high risk of robbery or high risk of you know whatever bombs going off uh, you don't worry about what the cost of your energy is or what's inside your walls either. So No. Right.
1: I think it's just a choice and I don't know if we want to say unfortunately or fortunately, um, they will have to get better. Yeah. By law. I yep. mean, we. I. what really gets to me all the time is we have, I don't know how many big size engineering firms mm-hmm. that have full-time departments with anywhere from 5 to 20 people employed full-time doing building envelope failures.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, well, we I, have get, a mutual... I get we
1: make money with maintenance. Yeah. But seriously, yeah. like, we need to do better. <laughs>
0: I remember a little better. Um, we have a mutual friend, Dana Bjornson from yeah. um, Optimized Envelope Engineering, and she's a super smart engineer, created a residential building envelope, which there's not a lot of people doing residential no. stuff. It's usually multifamily or commercial. And uh, she was investigating, and I, I want to say $4.5 million worth of damage. So one person. In Calgary, that's what she was investigating just on the residential side is four and a half million dollars worth of yeah. damage, and that doesn't sound like a lot of money except if it's your house rotting off the front, yeah. So, we had um, I, I don't think I'm allowed to say his name, but we were doing work for a hockey player, uh, Calgary. Um, I'm so not a sports guy. Flames. That's it. (laughs) That's embarrassing as a dude. And
1: there's now, what's the cavalry? The the soccer team? I think we have a new soccer team. We have a
0: soccer team. I don't know. If if they're not punching people in the face, I don't watch it. That's my sport. (laughs) Uh, we can talk MMA all down oh, day long I and I never get that. bored of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were doing this hockey player's house and he had built this infill in uh, the Northwest and it was beautiful. He bought two lots, put up this massive thing, flat roof system. He um, had, a, um, I think it was two and a half or three inches of styrofoam on the outside of his house and then they did, uh, oh shoot, I'm trying to remember the type of stucco, an acrylic stucco yeah. over top of it and the condensation in the walls were uh, the worst i'd ever seen really uh, yeah it was that's
1: interesting because it should mitigate the exterior insulation should really help with that so there has to be and i know homeowners don't like to hear that yeah but sometimes
0: they're it's problem a, yeah yeah
1: we build them dummy proof <laughs> <laughs> we automate everything
0: <laughs> I um I believe he had uh, an in house nanny from the Philippines, mm. and every time I was inside the house, it literally was like a jungle inside there. there you go. And High I get moisture. their their yeah. culture, their background. That's what they like it to be, and so they just kept it uh, warm and moist all winter long. And this is what caused the problem. Absolutely, they had essentially I don't know if it'd be considered a double vapor barrier, but almost like a double air barrier Not system where point. it was trapping it.
1: No, it's just that um. Everything has a tipping point. Mm-hmm. And if you're keeping your house at 70% relative humidity. <laughs> yeah.
0: Literally it's, jungle levels. It's
1: just not going to work in Canada. Right. It's not hot here. Right. And I've had a lot of that over... So I started my career in 2001. Yeah. And we did a lot of retrofitting
2: mm-hmm.
1: and in Quebec, yep. which is... We have a big range of buildings, right? So my oldest house I troubleshoot was 1789.
0: Nice. Yeah, there's no. Wood I love those houses.
1: Yeah, well, it's ten thousand dollars a year of energy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So what do you do? They can't change it. Can't because it was historical. Yeah, so he can't change the outside. Anyways, um, but um, oh, I lost my train. That
0: brought okay. up a really good question. So uh, we were just in Nova Scotia for our family holiday, and we saw all these brick buildings. Obviously, not very. Um, uh, energy efficient or effective at all? They're they're very uncomfortable to live in, but they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Just drop dead gorgeous Scottish architecture from you know eighteen twenty five, mm-hmm. and um, I fell in love with the entire province the the landscape, the ocean, <clears throat> the buildings, all that kind of stuff. The colors, uh, the colors. Yeah, it's it's, it's th- those uh, port cities. Just they know how to live life. Like they they've nailed it. Uh, but anyways, uh, back to like building envelope stuff. So I know you run a product um, called Arrow Barrier, correct? Yeah. Um, and this would this work on stone houses as well from the inside? Would this help with comfort level inside of these old stone houses? It would. Yeah.
1: Yes. One thing though is you would have to make sure that you pour a concrete slab in the basement because some you of these can't old have houses, a dirt floor basement. No, yeah. Dirt leaks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you're gonna, like I said earlier, you can't have a half pot bubble.
2: Exactly.
0: So
1: it's an all or nothing.
0: Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. The the, the half-pubble uh, theory is, is uh, or rule, I should say, is is fantastic to think about. Like these houses would have stone foundations, so stone and mortar foundations, and then they have the large sandstone bricks mm-hmm. um, uh, on top of them, which, again, beautiful. But I can't imagine living inside that house in the wintertime. You'd have to have six fireplaces going nonstop.
1: Yeah, ideally would. Because it's cheap.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> back then yeah. it was. No,
1: you could. Um, the only thing is, you know, once the ceilings in, you'd probably have to finish them another way. Oh, okay. Because the ceilings white.
0: Oh, so it's not a it's, pretty it's not, finish on, it, like a white paint on brick kind of thing.
1: Uh, no, but you could paint over it. Okay. You could put a uh, like a An not a, like a not a vapor barrier paint, like just a paint that allows so um. A latex. Yeah, yeah, or an exterior concrete paint or brick paint so that okay. water vapor travels through it yeah. to finish it on the inside. But yeah, every little hole would be like a white little
0: dot. Okay.
1: Right, because it seals i got to
0: come paint. out and see you guys doing this sometime. I'm super um, interested in this system.
1: It's really cool. Well, it's mm-hmm. nerd paradise, right? Because you're sitting behind a screen and the computer does the whole install and you're... Just looking at the air tightness drop live, and you're like, oh, yeah, ohye, yeah. Nice. how are we going to go? How are we going to go? And Yeah. And then sometimes weather dictates when you stop. Okay. Because if you have all the time in the world, then you just let it go. Right. And you see how far you get it.
0: What does an install typically take? Hmm? Maybe we should uh, uh, explain what the Aero Barrow system is, because I was asking how long does an install take?
1: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: but if they don't understand the system, it doesn't matter how long it takes. Okay.
1: <laughs> So, aero barrier is what I like to call a whole building air tightness solution. Yeah. So, the way it works is we put some sprayers in the house with an acrylic waterborne. So, think of a low VOC paint. Yeah. That's what comes out of these sprayers. And these sprayers... Um, Set up in
0: tripods, strategically yeah, tripods, throughout the house. Yeah, we
1: know where we want to, like, depending on the size of the house and the geometry, like if you have vaults and right, we want, we have eight sprayers to work with. And sometimes we have to go back in during the seal to move them around to make okay. sure the, the sealant spreads evenly. Yeah. And then what we do is we use a blower door, the same unit that you would do a negative pressure test, so an air leakage test, a blower door test, they're all the same thing. Yeah. And we pressurize the house. So we push air into the house. Right. And we push air into the house to an equivalent pressure of 60-kilometer wind on all faces of the house at once. Yeah. So it's windy.
0: You're blowing up the balloon. Yeah, we're
1: pushing air to the inside of the house. And so that forces the sealant towards all the leaks because the air finds all the leaks on itself. Yeah. And then the sealant self-seals all the holes. And it will get any hole from a half inch to a hairline.
0: Wow. Half inch is huge. Yeah. That's the gap between a uh, window frame and e- rough opening. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
1: So anything that I would like to call outside human com- competency, because we're human. We're not computers. Yeah. We get tired easily. We're highly emotional. So depending None. on how our morning
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: how our morning went or the night before, if we had trouble at home, right. our work will differ. Yeah. And that's okay. That's part of being alive <laughs> and part of being human. Right. But when you're looking at a very detail oriented um scope of work i would prefer removing the human factor
0: right so you're talking about installing poly or yeah, spray anything, foam any of those yeah, products anything that's always dependent
1: a, on human whereas yeah. this is not human dependent it's yeah. physics yeah right it just does its thing and it does it well yeah so yeah so it seals anything less than a half inch right down to hairline Beautiful. and that sealing process is anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours yeah so that's pretty ta- short. It's very short. It's more prep time and taking downtime. Okay. So it's a whole day process. Yeah. And depending on the size of the house, we would m- sometimes if you have like 80 windows, because we have those 14,000 square <laughs> footers in Alberta, <laughs> yeah. uh, we would go the day before prep all the house because we have to protect all horizontal surfaces. Okay. Not seal them, just protect them because the sealant will deposit. Okay. Okay. So what the, whatever's left in the air will deposit. And whatever deposits you can sweep off, usually with a brush, okay, or uh, a damp towel, up yeah. something. Um, think eraser crumbs. So you know when you erase yeah. the crumbs, it looks a little like that once you're, once it's dried up. Yeah. So we would prep the day before, and then the sealant itself is an hour and a half to two hours, and then taking down, taking everything out, and it's so discreet. Yeah. That the mutters come in after, and they don't know we were in there.
0: Beautiful. So... I like in my mind. I'm thinking like this is perfect for a retrofit. You buy a new house, or you buy a house that is new to you, um, and you move. You're about to move in, so the old people move out. You're gonna move in. You have you come in and blow this inside their home, and all of a sudden you have a, a much more efficient home um, without having to do massive renovations. You know, yes. with spray foam, you got to take all the drywall down or all the exterior. We can do attics, which help. Um, if you have an undeveloped basement, we can do that, but. typically in a a retrofit for us, it's doing a massive amount of demolition. And so when you're going in to prep the house, obviously you don't want any of the glass, although the seams between glass and plastic or glass and wood would leak. And so it would get those. And so do you poly prep the windows...
1: We just, we, well, we have to tape and seal all the openings, so the sliders and the casements. So when, because where, the sealant, cause you want them to open? <laughs> yeah, well, yes, because the sealant will seal them shut. Mm-hmm. So we want to just protect those connections or those junctions from the sealant getting in. Right. And then we just use, um you know, when you go in the paint department, there's, a, it's a, it's about this long. It's plastic, like transparent, light poly, and there's this little strip of, uh, sticky, and you put that on your floor when you want to put paint on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you open it up. Yep. So we use that, and we just cover the windowsills. Okay. And we just drape it. Awesome. So we drape everything. Yeah. Now, the thing in a retro is that you can't have any furniture in there.
0: That's what I was going to say, yeah. And That's a lot of prep work.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, it's a moving work. Yeah. In an ideal world, in a retrofit, what we would do is we would work... So, obviously, we would have to make sure that air leakage is the main concern. Right. So, before anything gets done, we would go in, do a full assessment of the house, talk with the homeowners, what budget they have, blah, 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 uh, because we don't want to get in with a product like that and it doesn't turn out. Right. <laughs> right? So we want to make sure that that's the real problem.
0: Well, having a comparison, right? So if you're buying a new home, you don't know what the old home was running like. You no. don't, right? So if you get in, do a blower door test, obviously, and seeing where it's coming in. So my understanding was that the average home in Alberta, um, we go between uh, 1.8 and 2.2 2 air exchanges per hour.
1: And we have a very different experience.
0: Okay. I was told this. I, I don't remember who. So, what, what is an average you would say in, like, say, any house built prior to 2014 maybe?
1: Prior to 2014. In the houses I've tested, I would say average mm, two to four. That includes.
0: Two to four? Yeah, that also that's like includes not having a roof on the house.
1: Yeah, that also <laughs> includes row houses though. Yeah. Right? Because those party walls, they. It's an open chimney right to the outside. Industry seems having to be having a lot of trouble with, but I just see them as a normal exterior wall, which to me is no brainer. But it's just a mindset thing. Yeah, because
0: they never poly that wall. They stuff it full of bats, and then they do nothing to seal between floors or between that that open the party wall opening to the attic. Mm -hmm. And so yeah.
1: So you get huge chimneys. So two to four. um, The lowest air exchange rate I have tested in my career. Now negative pressure test like yeah. before arrow barrier existed. Yeah. Was zero point three. Okay. And that was a bat in poly. Yeah. But a huge amount, of it, right? It took them like two weeks to put the poly up, to make it an air barrier. Like, it's yeah. a lot of work.
0: Four staples, lots of caulking, <laughs> lots of tape, <laughs> yes. lots of backing and, on the and joints. And then
1: again, at that time, the proper poly tape didn't exist either. They used the red the tuck red tape, tuck which tape. doesn't stick to poly. Yet. Under pressure, it comes apart. Right. So anyways, but yeah, so 0.3. And my worst one was uh, 38.
0: How is that even possible? (laughs) That's like not having a roof on the house. Well,
1: okay. Let me give you context. So um, air leakage rate, so air changes per hour, is very dependent on the size of the unit. Okay. So it was a little uh, cabin, uh, 250
0: square feet. Wood cabin? Like a log cabin?
1: Well, well, yeah, I can't say who the client was. But, yeah, it was a little cabin. Yeah. And he had an open fireplace in there.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) So that's where the (laughs) 38 comes from. But I was
1: actually surprised that I could depressurize it. Yeah. So it was so funny because he was trying to stop the air, and he just shoved a piece of plywood in there and... Put his bum against it. say, okay. Are we better? Are we better? And I'm yeah. like, no, you're still leaking. <laughs> <laughs> Close the flue. Yeah, stuff it full no, of bats. No, it didn't. Because the thing about that is is that it doesn't stop air. Right? No, it's, it's, a, it's a wool sweater.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a. It's a air retardant, like it'll slow the air molecules down, so you're not having hot slamming into cold.
1: Yeah, but otherwise the air travels right through. Absolutely. Right, think you're naked in a field and you have a wool sweater on right. without the Gore-Tex, you're still freezing your bed.
0: <laughs> Same thing. Absolutely, yeah. I um I, I I like that system. I'm I'm in my head picturing going through having that done inside of a home and seeing what the changes are, um, and uh, what kind of work has to go into it. Um, I spray foam my attic, and I had about a thirty percent decrease in the winter months mm-hmm. um, in in my energy use. So it was pretty significant in my home. My house was built in nineteen ninety three, which I know what the practices were like in nineteen ninety three in Do you have Alberta. Pot lights up there? Uh, we. No. I I so it, it
1: was your top plates
0: then that were leaking. Yeah. There's so back then all the penetrations, so yep. um the electrical penetrations, plumbing penetrations on the interior walls weren't sealed properly. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big portion of it. The the poly when I did the removal up there um had tape on it but no acoustic seal that I could see. Yeah, so it's like And so there was just lots and lots of leaking. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I cheated my house. So I originally, when I moved in the house, had an R34 with a six mil poly, poorly done poly, good for the time that they built it poor compared to what we know we can do now mm-hmm. um and i was a dumb drywaller back then and so we did a insulation top up so i went from r35 after two years of living here uh, boosted it up to an r60 and i got zero spent 1100 bucks on insulation and i got zero return on it so uh, did you get i
1: get more ice in your attic space
0: uh, mine was pretty good. I think okay, I'm so the have taller dryability. houses yeah. and the dryability was there. So it wasn't bad at all. Okay, good. So I, uh, I had the R60 removed after it being in there for six years, I think, or seven years. And I only sprayed an R20 in my attic.
1: There
0: you go. Or R18. And I've never upgraded it past <clears throat> uh, that. So it's about two and a half to three inches of foam inside my attic. Um, it's a little bit, um, it's not quite good enough in the summer. And so the upstairs feels quite warm with that small amount of foam. We're getting that thermal bridging of warmth in there. So when that attic warms up in the uh, summertime, we're feeling some of that through into the house.
1: So you feel really warm upstairs still?
0: Still, uh, the the warmth we're feeling, I think, because of the thin amount of foam up there. If we were to top up with some cellulose or loose fill on top of that, I think we might might reduce that.
1: You might see a difference when you finish your basement.
0: Uh, because now you
1: have a stack effect because your basement is a lot cooler
0: yes my basement is really cool so I got a spray foam basement
1: oh it is spray foam too. yeah oh I okay spray so foam maybe it's just thermal then
0: yeah I think it's just thermal from the lack so what I try to tell people all the time with insulation is that there's two things it's got to do. One, it needs to stop the airflow back and forth for efficiency, and it needs to be thick enough, or uh, so you don't get a dew point inside or outside or inside the the system. And so, with spray foam, we know that you know uh, an r 20 in the attic typically will achieve that in most houses, and an R12 in the walls. So three inches in the attic, two inches in the walls. We've done that in I don't know. Yep, a couple thousand homes, and we haven't had any condensation, frosting, warranty issues, or anything like that. And so the bosses were like, "Well, let's try it." Let's. So they um, they let me do it for the cost of the chemical. Um, Good. So, and yeah. they made me do it. So it was I a, a get... yeah. <laughs>
1: it's a guinea pig project. That's what you do. It, you it really something.
0: was. The one thing that I regret not doing is the blower door test before mm. and after. I would have loved to known what that was. Yep. Yeah. And I've had it in my mind that for people that don't know that are listening, we get nasty hailstorms out here. Take out your roof, your siding, your soffits. Uh, it, it smashes the crap out of Airdrie. Yep. I think we've had three massive ones where like it literally destroyed uh, all the siding and almost all the houses. I got the
1: 2015 one.
0: Yeah, I've been waiting for it because I get spray foam really cheap, and I want to spray foam my whole house from the exterior.
1: Oh,
0: <laughs> and, okay. And uh, our house has had a few dings. so I, I have, have to be-
1: ask you why, though.
0: Well, the, the insulation and the vapor barrier that's in there now is not effective, um, even though we had the decrease in energy use when we did the attic in the basement, which is super, super helpful. I think getting the walls done will make another big step in a direction towards comforts. Um, I didn't know about AeroBarrier, Barrier, and maybe that's uh, well. We, that's why I'm asking. Yeah. Um. Um. But that was always been my plan. But now I'm knowing about other prod uh, products out there, including AeroBarrier Barrier, and what that means uh, inside of a house. But that's us moving all of our products out or prepping the entire house, and
1: we would take care of that.
0: Yeah. The and we're maybe doing a big renovation, so
1: there's flexibility there. There's
0: flexibility there because we're just gonna have to move the, a bunch out. The
1: spray foam was what my husband calls the cat's ass for a long time because yeah. it, it has the properties to do all three. Yeah. It has the properties to be an insulator. It has the properties to be a vapor retarder after two inches ish, depending on the company. The substrate and, 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 and who's spraying, who spraying it. Who's spraying it. And then it can also be an airtight system. Yeah. Again, that is very dependent on not every spray foam company is ski equal.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, And people don't understand, it's not just what goes between the studs, right? You have the joint between the window and the rough opening. Yes. You have all your doubles, your triples, your bottom plate, your top plate, your cripples, all those that have to be sealed up as and, well because and
1: spray foam cannot get in there.
0: It cannot get inside yeah. there. So when you're doing these retrofits, we we talk to people about it. I'm like, oh, what do those little holes do? I'm like, that's where most of the air is coming in. Yeah, it's a not the it. big open spot. We're kind of like the the massive blanket um, exactly. in a storm. We're not the house in a storm. It's that whole system that creates that house yeah. around you to keep you warm. Because
1: we've tested some houses that were fully spray foamed, and they were anywhere from one and a half to three year changes per hour. Yeah. Because all the other little holes that people don't think are holes were there was enough of them that so it's all about finding that balance. And the great thing about airtightness is that it's the only trade-off I know of as far as anyway in my career that you can trade off insulation for airtightness. So that's why your attic space performs better with an R twenty two pounder. Yeah. Because you're airtight now. Right. So, you don't have to do a few All the
0: hot air that was leaving is not no longer going, going anywhere. up. I tell yeah. people that hot air goes up. It doesn't go sideways unless you push it yeah, sideways. It usually goes up. It's yeah. what we
1: call stack effect. Exactly. Yeah.
0: The, um, just to get back to the spray foam industry, because this is a, one of my pet peeves, and I think it's exactly what you're talking about in, in the industry is that there's so to be a spray foamer, you got to do a two day course and write a test. Yeah. It's pretty simple to do. It doesn't teach you about spraying foam. It doesn't teach you about quality. What it teaches you is what you should and shouldn't spray on, how to do density tests, adhesion, cohesion tests, to make sure that the foam product itself um, is not hazardous to anybody. Mm -hmm. So if we spray, say, on um, uh, galvanized steel, it'll rust in the back and the foam won't stick and you'll get condensation build up and stuff like that so you have to prep galvanized steel to be able to accept the foam so that you get full adhesion or cohesion on it Um, that's all that it teaches you it teaches you nothing about Mm -hmm. the actual quality of installing the foam you know uh, it basically tells you don't spray it more than two inches thick don't have people in the house when you're spraying it and these are the things that you can't spray on Um, so and and even in that set of rules some of them are Silly! They say you can't spray on poly because you don't get good adhesion. Yeah, you don't. But we're allowed to spray on dirt or rock.
1: Oh, interesting!
2: Right.
0: (laughs) So you know there there there's some things inside the industry because it's new to residential. I mean, they've been spraying spray foam since the Second World War. Well, it's been around since the Second World War, and then they went into commercial and farming for a long time, and now it's moving into residential. So they're hyper focused on the safety of it, Mm -hmm. which. For sure, they have to be. Uh, We don't want to have another asbestos or lead paint incident in Canada. Uh, But that's all it teaches you. So it doesn't make you a good contractor to pass that test at all. And so it's reliant on the companies doing the the training and the accountability of employees because we have to send them out. I'm not going to stand and watch my 20 employees spray foam every day. I can't do it. My bosses can't do it. uh, We just can't effectively get that done. So you have to have good training systems. You have to have good accountability systems. I love the fact that that we're possibly moving to a blower door test uh, before uh, they can get their Schedule C on a house to know that the job is done properly.
1: We just find it a little too late as far as I'm concerned.
0: Sorry, say that again.
1: So the what the codes are going to ask for is a pre-occupancy air leakage test. Okay. <clears throat> but it kind of sucks to find out you're not meeting your target and your house is ready for possession. <laughs>
2: right.
0: I know. So, it should be done at at, at board stage, and right? And that's so.
1: why we – that's what we're doing. We're educating all our clients. Now, they don't all want to do it. Yeah. But yeah. we know when that hammer is coming.
0: It's well, there's coming no way builders are not going to do it at board stage if they're required to go back and fix it at move-in.
1: But they don't, um, you and you probably heard this too, everybody thinks they're building the best house.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true at all.
1: Well, we don't, but just <laughs> No, like I don't I, think
0: they even believe.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly, right? They don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So because they don't know what that means- the first couple houses, they're not going to do a pre-test.
0: Well, the first couple aren't. Like, You know how long it took builders to get on board with um, uh, in 2016 when they did a changeover? The new over, energy code. The new I energy I code. Know. It took forever. They gave them a year's allowance, yeah. and then they started hammering down on them. So how many houses get built in a year in Calgary? 1,200?
1: Yeah. 1,400? So now 1400? they get six months six grace periods. So June 2020 is when the next code round is coming out.
0: Christ. Cor- correct.
1: And that's when they will be enforcing preoccupancy leakage testing when doing a performance path.
0: Oh, so not even for prescriptive. I don't
1: think they will because they're just going to increase the thermal targets again, is what I understood.
0: Who Who have you been talking to? Is it Tom Lauder or Bruce Schultz?
1: No, it's NRCan. NRCan Natural it? Resources Canada.
0: Oh, Okay. Um, at the last energy code, we get to sp- speak into it a little bit. Uh, Tom Lauder is one of the guys. Yeah. He's that at was, the city of Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one yeah. of the guys writing it for city of Calgary yeah. and Bruce Schultz runs. Yeah. 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 Runs the safety code. Um, officers for the city of Calgary. And so they were a big part of the rewrite for the Alberta building code. Um, and we got to talk into a little bit. We mm-hmm. met with them a little bit. One, we wanted to understand it. So moving Absolutely. forward, we were doing the right stuff. And you would be amazed at. So when the new code came out, we did a conference uh, where we brought in Tom Lauder. We brought in engineers from BASF. And there was somebody else. Uh, oh, it was a private um uh, energy efficiency consultant and i can't remember his name right now i should shout out to him He's super super smart guy um, and brought them in and then we brought in i think it was 40 or 50 contractors so we could explain the new code um, and what you're going to be required to do but in a city of a million people we have what a few thousand contractors oh, yeah. and we From brought in house to- 40 yeah Yep. of that. That's all we had the opportunity and throughout the year we educate them <laughs> as best as we can but um yeah it's we got to hit a very very small percentage of And
1: it. it's going to be like that again.
0: Yeah. And and think about how many guys that are around that were still building in the 60s where they're like they didn't even necessarily believe you needed insulation in your walls. Well, you didn't. Well, you can get Actually, away with it.
1: Well, you okay. Well, you don't need you don't need insulation in your walls. Right. Okay, you can build a horse barn with a geothermal system and solar, and you're better than code.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay? It's
1: expensive. Yeah. It won't be comfortable. Yeah. But by law, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. Right. Okay, it's a little ludicrous, but that's right. Yeah. The reason why we started putting insulation, because in the, in the early 1900s, there was no insulation on the house. Right. People wear their snowsuits year round.
0: Right. And there were
1: 15 <laughs> in a house in two bedrooms. Right. So they Didn't slept. even
0: take that much to heat.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> you have your own little heating system, right? You're five in a double bed. Yeah. Right. Four dogs, two woods fireplaces, and mom's home all the time cooking right. on a wood stove. Right. So do you care that you're not as say no, you don't. Right. Right. But then I can't remember when uh, we started considering um, energy efficiency. Um, I think there was something that happened with oil. It was, Thank um, you. it was, uh, costing too much or something. And, and then that's when the first energy codes or energy efficiency became a thing in the seventies kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but th- the big difference between an R12 wall with bat or better yet, the R8 wrapped yeah. paper, <laughs> yeah. right? And a lot of people haven't seen that, but yeah, it's a, just, uh, Paper bag, wrapped with bat in the middle, and it's stapled on your walls, and it looks like a sleeping bag. Exactly, right in your wall cavity. Um,
0: Still had an air space because it was only about an inch but and a half. But there wasn't in a any vapor
1: retarder, right? Well, right? you didn't need one because the less insulation you have, the less risk of vapor condensation you have because now right. your entire system stays hot. It's when you start adding insulation that you need to become more vapor tight and more airtight. Right. Now, another thing that you brought up is, well, so airtightness. people say, oh, well, my house got to dry. It has to breathe. Yeah. Okay, well, we can build you a house with a hole in your wall open all year.
0: Yeah.
1: It'll breathe. Oh, well, that's not, it'll be cold. Right. Yes. So you're. But why is it
0: okay to have a thousand little holes?
2: Well,
1: it's not okay. Right. But it's, there's this stigma that a house has to breathe. <clears throat> right. So a building doesn't have to breathe. And we're starting to educate our customers on this is it has to dry. Yeah. Because people think breathability is air. Yep. So, you, so they think that you have to have air movement between the two. Well, no, you don't. What you want to do is to have a way to dry. Whatever is getting wet. So if you take that balloon example. Yeah. You blow air and it's airtight. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you deflate the balloon, you put your finger in and it's wet.
2: Mm -hmm. Because
1: you got all the vapor from your mouth on there. Right. So what would you do to keep the inside of that balloon dry? Yeah. Well, you'd put an exhaust system on it. Now it's theoretical because you'd have to make it really airtight (laughs) and structurally sound. (laughs) But ultimately, that's the idea. Right. And I always compare buildings to a human body. Yeah. Right, if I wrap you in sarin wrap, everything, yeah, what happens?
0: Uh, My wife will get mad. Very, you'll (laughs) turn blue too, (laughs) yeah, it's all dry, right? You'll turn blue, suffocate, you'll
1: get really, really wet, yeah, right? You're gonna get spongy, yeah, okay. So, how do we fix it? We poke a hole here, yeah, and we let you use your lungs, (laughs) okay. You're still gonna be a little wet, Mm -hmm. but at least you're gonna be. D- breathing and drying and right you'll have a way now it's a little speculative obviously you want to but it that's the main idea so our bodies dry vapor through our skin yeah they add insulation through our clothing but they're pretty airtight like yeah. i mean yeah at, at a microscopic level there's air traveling through everything like farts
0: Yep. Yeah. right <laughs> our skin is our second skin, mouth right yeah.
1: yeah but ultimately it's more a vapor dryability thing an insulation yeah. thing than an
0: Well, I talk about people that have the question about air tightness is that, well, one, you have an HRV system in most new houses and old houses, you can install them your forced air furnace is essentially a mini HRV system because it takes a percentage of air from outside and a percentage of air from inside yeah. and it mixes them and heats them so you're bringing fresh air into the house and because they know that it escapes through the poly that's your system so mm-hmm. if you're doing a, a full spray foamed house or a tight house then you want to have an HRV system where you can control the air coming in and out of the house we don't allow it to leak in and out of our walls and our windows mm-hmm. and our doors that's not the right way to let a house breathe there's lots of mechanical nope. ways to allow a house to breathe properly so you have fresh clean air you can set your hrv system so it goes off every 20 minutes or every hour or when the yeah. humidity or and temperature is a key. certain level yeah so
1: what we've seen is because of the new energy energy codes a lot of houses have hrvs yeah ventilate so heat recovery ventilators are little boxes that you hang in your furnace room yep and it's tied into your furnace but we've seen a lot of those units that are not balanced there's no controller for them <laughs> right. they just put it in yeah. to get by to get a building permit.
0: <laughs> i've seen that last two right so eleven hundred dollar right um, y-
1: you have to put it in you have to install it properly
0: yeah
1: and you have to be able to control it yeah and it has to be installed in a way that the homeowners won't be annoyed by it so they won't shut it off
2: yeah Right. Correct, yeah. So there's
1: a little bit more than just slapping in an HRV. <laughs> you have to do it right. I agree. So, I mean, what we've been talking to our friends and colleagues is, you know, when you go shopping for a house, you want to ask them like two or three questions. Do you know your air leakage rate?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How leaky are your houses? Right? Because the more leaky, the more at risk of envelope failure you are and the more discomforts you're going to get. Yeah. Right. Your energy bills are going to be expensive because air leakage is 30 to 40 percent of your annual energy bill. Wow. That's a big chunk.
0: That's a big chunk.
1: And then the other one is, do you have a ventilation system? If it's not an H, if it's an HRV, do you have a controller? If it's not an HRV and you have just exhaust fans, which is, could be okay. Yeah. How do you control them? Yeah. Because what happens is people don't know why they have a bathroom in their (laughs) bathrooms.
0: They (laughs) They think think it's for farts, not for showers. Exactly. Right. So
1: they take a shower and then they leave it on. And then when they leave the shower, they shut it off. Yeah. But all of that moisture is still in that space. Yes. So... We always tell our builders, you know, if you don't want to put in an HRV, that's okay. But get a bathroom fan that is really, really um, quiet. Yeah. Like the quietest High fan volume, you... quiet. Yeah. So like really low. Like it's going to be a $200 fan. Yeah. It's not going to be a $50 fan. But
0: and it's f- not a $1,200 or $1,500 no. HRV system.
1: And then put a humidistat. Right. Wall. set it at 35 yep. not 50 because they i think they come preset 50 okay so you have to get in there and yep. change it so this thing will turn on no matter what no matter who's in the house shower or not and it won't take care of your farts Yep, <laughs> but that's why you got a switch or a timer
0: depends how humid it is
1: right so you're yeah but you really wet
0: farts <laughs> I agree you know what I've had to do this for so uh, because I was in renovations I have lots of friends that are uh, mechanical friends so electricians and plumbers and, and stuff like that when they can't afford spray foam I'll suggest say for attic rain is that strong wine no okay I just I saw your eyes light up when you had a sip of it. So. No, I
1: was paying attention to <laughs> okay. what you were saying. You're like
0: Where we've had them in attics install bathroom fans uh, in attics hooked up to humidistats so that when the humidity gets, so, and we set it really, really low at like 5 or uh, maybe not that low, like 12 to 15%. So when the hot air from the house escapes into the attic in the, in the winter months, um, the humidity, if it raises at all, that fan comes on and sucks all the air out of the attic. Not very efficient for a house because it'll also suck the air out of your house. Well, that's what I was going to say. If you're
1: not airtight, you can't do that.
0: But, you know, to do, say, a 1,000-square-foot attic with uh, our hybrid system, you're looking at, you know, just as rough, rough numbers at about $6,000. You can get a really, really good bathroom fan and a humidistat all hooked up for under $500, Mm -hmm. and you can suck the moisture out of your attic if your attic isn't, and obviously if you have attic rain, it's not. So this is a, a a reasonable solve that we can do for people. Yeah. Um, doesn't make the house more efficient. Doesn't make the house more comfortable. But it will stop the ice buildup and the um, ice damming on the roof in a lot of cases.
1: I wouldn't. I lean towards not creating negative pressure in an attic space. I agree. I feel that if you just need to understand how attic ventilation works, and you find the proper because everything's out there. You just need to know what to put where. Yeah. And just leave the exterior environment, deal with that. Yeah. If you can mitigate any excess in moisture in your attic space, then you're golden. You don't need much ventilation. The,
0: there, there's <laughs> the on-house. So what we're talking about, like people outside where um, – uh, they just don't react the way a normal house does. So, you know, houses built in the 50s and 60s and 70s would have wood insulation stops and they would have less than a half an inch or less than an inch, say, of air space between that insulation stop and the roof. And yep. then they have fully plywooded soffits with small ventilation holes and a couple of roof vents. We find that those that do work. not ventilate very well. No. You need a more than two inches of space to create... Um, uh,
1: Especially a low pitch...
0: Yeah, Yeah. and you got to think most of these are 312, which isn't technically a low pitch, but that's low enough that there's too much friction to move that hot air out of there. And so, um, you know, the bathroom fan is a cheap resolve for them to prevent them from having ice damming and water damage inside their home.
1: Why not use uh, an active roof vent like the Venmars or the Maximons instead?
0: Uh, we have suggested those. I've had some roofers, um, roofing engineers tell me like the the whirly bird type ones, the, um, or non-powered ones. ones are not effective. They don't ventilate more air than a passive roof vent does. Um, other than if it's thick snow. And so some of the studies showing mm. now that the, the, the whirly birds are not not overly effective i guess
1: it depends ideally you want to compartmentalize your attic space it's all about the path of least resistance
0: right yeah so we we've had people try that and it <clears throat> not work and then we put the um, bathroom fans in and it's and worked. worked and so like y- y- there's certain ones and i don't know you know it's sort of like when you're a fighter you see things differently than other people do so when i go into an attic and i go okay the best way is to re-insulate and put spray foam down and stop the hot air from getting into mm-hmm. the attic That's $6,000. They're like, we cannot afford that. What are the other solutions? Well, you could add more fiberglass inside there, and maybe that'll get you a little bit of time. So, you know, if uh, it's been cold for three days and that's when the frost is coming in, you add more fiberglass in there, maybe you'll get five or six days before it frosts inside there. Right? This is a, a guess because the thicker the insulation is, the little bit longer it takes it to re- the, the hot air that's escaping before it hits the um, sheeting on the roof. And so it takes a little bit longer to get um, condensation or frost. And then we get a Chinook before then, then you've eliminated it. So that's what some people are doing to, to minimize um, attic rain, is adding more loose fill or cellulose inside there. I'm not a big fan of it, but it is cheaper than a hybrid.
1: See, I think I. I believe it's in reverse. Okay. The more insulation you add, the colder your attic space is going to be. Yeah. So if you have hot air traveling through your insulation and you have a lot of it, you're going to freeze up faster.
0: Oh, and I've seen the, the opposite house is in not, practice.
1: So it's air leakage that drives all this. Correct. If you're airtight, have at it. Right. A- R 100, just to be sexy. Yeah. Just because. We've it done it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But if you're leaky you almost want lesser insulation.
0: You see, and in and practice, it in practice, we've seen the opposite. And, really? and this is the small amount that we've hit. So, you know, I've gone into an attic that, say, has uh, three or four inches of cellulose, a one-mil vapor barrier. Was it drying, though? Was there venting on it? Um, well, so typically the one-mil vapor barrier would have um, the, oh, the insulation. Oh, that's vapor retardant. It's not. Um, but this is the style of home, right? Yeah. So. Uh, you have a one mil vapor barrier, um, say an R28 cellulose inside there, an R24 cellulose yep. inside there, so a small amount. You have two inches of uh, space on your attic, but you have wood soffits, and then you have your roof fence up oh, there. So and there's a lot of things not
1: working right. A lot of things think. not working right. And <laughs> so you
0: just like you guys do, we try to find a balance in the yep. budget. And so you know, do your hybrid system. We eliminate that problem. Yep. There's no more hot air going in there. There's no more frosting or condensation going on. But that's $6,000. So they are like, no, that won't work. We just want a loose fill top up. I said, okay, so let's do a loose fill top up, but maybe add some lower intake roof fans and some more. There you go. Yeah.
1: That's so you're adding ventilation. Sometimes,
0: okay. sometimes not. But we've also had a lot of people call us back and say, listen, we've added the insulation. We've added the roof fans. We're still getting condensation. You're yeah. like, yep. That that happens too. I told you it might, um, and then we've had other ones where I've called them back the following winter as a as a follow up as a as a good contractor and say, hey, how's your attic? Is your any frosting in there? Do you want? Cause I'm always trying to upsell, and they're like, no, we've been in there all winter and it's been good. And it's just with a loose fill top up. So you can do these things. It doesn't make the house more. balance. Right? It's, you know, not everyone's got $6,000. Some people are mortgage broke. Some people just spent $600,000 on a house and they're making $70,000 a year. I'm like, "Mm, that's got to be stressful. So you, we try to find these balances for them when we can, but we're really about, let me fix it. Just do it. Never comes back again. But if I can't then what is the next best thing we can try? So you
1: need to start testing them before you start fixing them.
0: I would love that, but they're already... So, so this is the balance, right? I would love to get into every single house that calls us and say, let us do a blower door test. Yeah. Let's see exactly where your problems are. So we go in there, we thermal scan mm-hmm. with a blower door test. And you let's, don't even
1: need a thermal camera.
0: It's nice in the wintertime. You get to see a yeah.
1: lot. So you can feel all of it.
0: You can. Especially
1: yep. in an old house because they lick a lot.
0: Yes, I would like every person to do that, and then have some video evidence, be a thermal imaging or, or something like that, and then we just go in and solve that problem. But why
1: don't we can just do it for you guys for free? No, but <laughs> two hundred dollars won't matter on your total bill.
0: Well, you wouldn't think the profit is not as good as you think it is, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm not opposed to running down I mean, that line your or offering it. Right? Yeah, if you want
1: to fix it,
0: there's no liability. Oh. <laughs> Because we keep well educated uh, oh, customers, okay. is I don't ever go in there and say, "Oh, let me spray foam this, and it's going to solve all your problems. Right. Your wife's going to like you. Your teenager's not going to talk back, and you're never going to have problems again." <laughs> Which a lot of people do. Um, I I've literally been uh, in sales calls where like this person just said that this would solve my problem, like. You better let them do it then. Yeah. <laughs> Find out what their warranty's all about because yeah. I I'm 25 years in in building and building envelope mm-hmm. that I've got a pretty good idea of you know the percentage. I hate warranty work with a passion. Oh, yeah, totally. I hate it. Um, And we do it. My bosses are so ridiculous, they don't even put timelines on it. Like, if it's not right, we're going to fix it. So that comes out of my budget every time we have to do it. So I'm like, well, if you guys are going to be that way, then we're only going to do these types of jobs because I don't want to buy people drywall and paint and Mm -hmm. hotels and all that kind of stuff. So I only do the jobs the way they're supposed to be done. Or I put caveats on the quote, like, We'll just loose fill top up in your attic. I'm not telling you it's going to solve it, but it but does for some for people. Yeah. And this is the percentage of people that don't have complaints after we do a loose fill top up. Yeah. That's it. Then, then there's a liability. It's full
1: disclosure. Yeah, totally. Right?
0: And that's how you create well-educated, happy yeah. customers mm-hmm. is that if you're going to go into a car dealership and say, I want all these options. Okay, that's a $100,000 car. Oh, no, no. I only want to spend $60,000. Okay. okay. Well, then you don't get the stereo, yeah. and you don't get the nice mags, and you don't get the big <laughs> engine. Oh, but I want all that stuff. I get it, but that's this is that's just That's your no. budget.
1: That's how we have to approach
0: that's how construction. Have, that's how you have to approach you want construction. All that?
1: Well, you don't have the budget. you got to wait a year. Get bigger cash down. Do something.
0: <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs>
1: but I can't, right?
0: We have too many yes... No, I was going to say yes men, yes people in construction. And I want to get into that too because we've been talking a lot about okay. p- yeah, yeah. geek stuff that, that we geek out on. Um, but we have too many yes people in construction are like, oh, paint my walls this. Okay. Oh, do this in my walls. Yeah. What do you do for a living? You're you're a nurse. What? Why are you telling me what to do on a construction site? Uh, you know, I'm not saying you're not a smart person, but I know construction. I know There's trust there. Yeah. Right. And so that's the way I sell it. So, um What did I just say we were going to talk about? Yes, people. Yes, people, right. And so there's too many of those. Instead of going uh, and saying, listen, I'm a professional. This is the reason why we're doing these things inside mm-hmm. your home. And I've walked away from customers who are like, no, I want you to do this. Okay, there's 30 other companies doing this. Go get one of them I to agree. do it. We do the same. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable to uh, be that guy that if you're right, it's yes. I don't want to argue with you. Like, oh, you've picked the perfect. I, I've yeah. actually had people say, oh, I want an R100 spray foam attic." I understand where you're coming from. That's a shit ton of money, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you could feed a country in Africa for what you're going to pay for 100. R- yeah. A... Don't, don't, don't do that. No, no, no. I want it. Okay. I'll spray it. It'll take two weeks, but we'll get her done. <laughs> I did a 4,500 square foot, 4,500 square feet attic R100 spray foam.
1: How is that performing?
0: Oh, you know what? I never went back. I, I oh, you l- don't want to go back. Well, I'm sure to no. perform fine. There'd be zero issue with it. Like it's a
1: big brick; it doesn't move.
0: No, nothing, nothing. Like that's uh, you can I, walk I don't on my Calculator. It. I can't even do the math on that. We get an R six point five per inch. Yeah. So to do an R one hundred or whatever eighteen inches of spray foam inside there, yeah, and three thick. inches works. You need your calculator? Do one hundred divided by six point five. Sorry,
2: it's not...
0: oh, wow. that's okay. We're not in a rush. We got no place to be. I might want to go shooting again today. All right, what is it? One hundred divided by six point five. Uh, fifteen point three eight. There you go. We put yep. sixteen inches of foam in this guy's attic. It'll never condensate or leak.
1: <laughs> no, I wonder though. I'd be curious to see how it performs over time.
0: Yeah, as long as there's ventilation. Unless it, I mean, we can do non-vented roof systems. Always. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know what I want to talk to you about because we talked about this the other night. When you get off a little bit of the geek stuff, that I'm yeah, sure yeah, everyone's so everybody's bored gonna up. be bored. How, of. how far into this? We're an hour and twenty minutes. Ten hour minutes? Hour and twenty minutes. Thank okay. you.
2: Anybody that didn't want to listen to the geek stuff is gone.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's okay. We can change the subject, anyways. I think we hit all the major points oh, in I mean, building yeah. envelope and and arrow barrier systems, and I think people will have a general understanding. Yeah. I sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> women in business. So oh, that's right. okay. One, one of the things that, uh, so we've had Carla Mayfield on here from yes. Mayfield Renovation. And so Carla. yeah, you guys have met before. She's a sweet, sweet lady. Yeah. Um, very, very good at business, but we're in an industry that you don't see ma- very many women in. No. Um, you know, of the building envelope side, I know you and Dana, that's it. In, in a million people, there's two women doing building and we're envelope.
1: Doing two very different scopes.
0: Right. Um, and I think Dana's maybe had um one or two maybe three female interns in building yeah. envelope, and I don't think any of them stuck around. they all went on to do other things um uh i don't I don't think they're there anymore, so it's not a female driven industry by any no any. not
1: yet it's so not a bad thing I guess but
0: no, I don't think it's neither good nor no, bad. It's not
1: good or bad. It's just the reality. Why would you want to
0: force a bunch of women into doing the stuff that we're geeking it out yeah. on? If like you talk to my wife about building envelopes, see how far that goes. Yeah, not far. <laughs> it's not far at all. <laughs> She's just like wah, 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 wah. that's all she can hear is like the uh, Charlie Brown teacher. <laughs> yeah. So why 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 are you in the building industry? Why are you in a market where it's not uh, not only women?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. Um, So I did my architectural technology. So I'm architect by profession. I graduated in 2001. Cool. And I went into drafting CAD, you know, computer-assisted design. And and I realized within six months that being behind a computer in a dark room with a dark screen was very depressing. Right.
0: (laughs) I get there's people that are built to do that. And I'm
1: like, hell no. Yeah. So six months in... I uh, decided that I would refor- refocus on site
2: because
1: mm-hmm. I really liked, you know, I like the big. Um, how can I say? This? I like them. The end result. Yeah. I like walking down the road and say, "Oh, we worked on this building. and We did that with this house, and this is what happened here." Um, I the like the. Way. I like the big picture. I'm not
0: a very. What did I do Saturday? Uh, when we're oh, we
1: went uh, rafting
0: down the rafting bow. Down the bow. And you're
2: pointing out all of the houses, like, oh, this person built
0: this, or, or uh, we. Big-eyed that. fish builds in bone nests and so we float past there, and you're one of the builders we do. And then I'm like, oh, I spray foam that house, and this yep. house did this, and I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I like
2: the big picture.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: So, I went in the yellow pages, and I looked for a billing inspector. Yeah. My first mentor, and he was an energy nerd. Yeah. So I was 19. Okay. And I started what I'm doing today. Very cool. And I got totally hooked. I drank the Kool-Aid of doing <laughs> house troubleshooting. Yeah. But it, it was so much fun in, in Quebec because, I mean, like Different I Different climate out there for but sure. But not even the climate, just the way the houses are built. Like yeah. that 1789, they're 48 inches cobblestone walls. Wow. From bottom and 36 inch to the top.
2: That's cool. Dirt
1: floor and the rafters. Dude, you have trees with the bark <laughs> on it in basements, holding entire triplexes. Yeah, yeah. On a bucket turned upside down. Right. They replace it. Used to be metal. They put a plastic one in now. <laughs> right. So, and I got to troubleshoot these houses and the insulating piece. Like I found so many. I found some. I was in the attic spaces and I took some walls down and I, f- I found some wills Mm-hmm. I found some 1930s little girls' dresses cool. stuffed in walls. Found a weapon. Nice. Um, Gazette Get, prints. I can, mean, I, can
0: I give you a story of what I found? Yeah. So have you seen the um, the kids' uh, movie, Mr. McGoriam's Wonder Emporium? No. So it's uh, Dustin Hoffman. He's this magical guy that's trying to... Um, uh, you know, bring life to people. It's like a Disney-type movie. But anyways, he's a mystical character in this movie. So at the beginning of his life, he bought 12 pairs of shoes, all identical, and he wore them until they weren't wearable anymore, and then he would throw them out. And when his shoes were done, his life was done. That was it. So he had oh. 12 pairs of shoes to get through his life. And so he just wore them as long as he possibly could. And they were worn out. He would throw them away. So I was up in an attic that had 12 pairs of identical shoes oh, all completely no. worn out. We were doing a removal of loose fill. And like that we found 12 pairs of identical shoes all completely worn out. We found that same attic... I don't know, probably two or three hundred copies of the local um, newspaper from Calgary. We found a motorcycle windshield. And oh, wow. It's just a, yeah... And in a mattress, they had a in a, the attic. Yeah, how'd you get that in there? I don't know. It, it was a single, <laughs> so like a kid's bed but size still. one. Yeah, they. I don't know if they did a renovation and dumped it up there, or if they just squeezed it through the hole. I don't know. It makes no sense to me at all to, <laughs> for them to be up there. But either way, there was a mattress up there, so it was a uh, bugger one. We cut the mattress up to get it out. Well, yeah, I took I it figured. apart. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got to go off on a tangent. So, why you're in the building industry?
1: Why I just, and it's funny, somebody else asked me this not too long ago, but I just get a real thrill out of seeing how, not only how the building behaves, mm-hmm. but how humans interact with it.
2: Yeah, me too.
1: I get, a, I get real nerdy. Like, when I present in seminars, like, all the sparkles come out. And <laughs> I'm like, wow, this chick is really intense. Like, this is wicked. Right? And, yeah. like, all the data collection. I... I You know, I was a beach volleyball athlete for 22 years. At 5'1"? Yes, sir. I had a meter (laughs) vertical. Thank you very much. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Yes, you had to keep up with the tall chicks. I never thought in my lifetime that I'd become a science geek because I was pretty crappy at school. Yeah. Like, I didn't excel very good, very well.
0: I was a retard.
1: I was very good in English because I was in Quebec, and I had free passes to go to. I didn't have to take my English classes. Yeah. But I never thought in my lifetime that I'd become what I am today.
0: I'm the same way. Um, so I started off in drywall, um, which I liked because my dad did it, but very shortly realized it was monotonous, and I spent 12 years doing drywall and hated it. <laughs> I would rather slit my wrist than do drywall another day in my life. It's not for me. Not bashing on any other drywallers <laughs> no, out there. No, to each their own. To each their own. But for me, it was worse than sitting in front of a computer 10 hours a day. It was horrible horrible um so yeah i didn't like doing that anymore and i had to figure out other things to do so i went into renovations and while i was doing renovations when beyond foam needed help yep. managing a company so they they hired me and then i had to understand building envelope and and different installations and why they do what they do and so yeah i dug in deep and uh um fell in love with the, well, the you're science nerd of at it heart. i am yeah my kid laughing at me not a nerd. Oh, <laughs> or so question He, he doesn't think I'm a nerd.
1: Do you know the difference between a nerd and a geek? No, I think I'm not sure which one. It is. I think it's the the geek that's socially awkward, hmm. but they're the same. One There's... has friends and the other one doesn't.
0: <laughs> is that true? I <laughs> Th-
1: think Sheldon Cooper. Sort right? of.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what What's your definition between nerd and geek? What's the okay. difference? That's I just
1: think of them as the same thing. They're, they're just the same but thing. But one has to be cooler than the other. Well, yeah, I think of geek as, like, saying the same thing except using it as an insult. And then, like, nerd is just, yeah, nerd.
0: Nerds are nice. Geeks are not nice. Is that true? I guess. Okay, I don't know.
1: So Big Bang Theory, they're nerds or geeks? I don't know. I've, I've seen, like, two and a half episodes. Well, that's all
2: you need.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. I really
2: did. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I I
0: got lazy yesterday after going down the river and I watched a few episodes of... uh, There was a marathon on, so we watched a couple hours of it. I don't ever watch TV. I
1: knew a few Sheldon Coopers in
0: in my network. (laughs) So has there been any difficulties being a woman in business, going into...
1: No, I think it's really a posture thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... I never had, I had maybe three, two or three, like, weird encounters in my career. Yeah. And most times it's a generation clash. Right. Most times it's men that are much older. Yeah. And um, in trades, not so much in um, academics. Yeah. And it's usually just, uh, they're just not comfortable Mm -hmm. um, dealing uh, with me. Yeah. And that's okay. That I don't is. I don't mind it. I'm not I mean, if you're not comfortable find somebody that you are because you're not getting anywhere if you can't be open about what you need. Yeah, right? the
0: small percentage of people that are racist or chauvinist or
1: I I don't even think it's that. I just think it's not what they were raised to be comfortable
0: with well what i noticed too with a lot of the older contractors is they just don't believe the science like they're 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 not willing to to go what i knew before isn't true anymore and and scientists are very much that way like i'm the complete opposite because i knew nothing coming into the spray foam industry about building envelope and so i had to learn it all and then i just don't ever take that as the truth and so all of a sudden you know, when I learned about uh, cellulose, I was I was like, there's no way that just cellulose all by itself in a wall will work. Like, oh, it yeah. just And then you find out it does. Yeah. And it works quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, it may have some other issues. We won't bash on cellulose. No, 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 no. But, but it, you know. Yeah, there, there's all these systems. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, this works too. So uh, And then this works. And then we didn't think this works, but it does. And so, honestly, I don't know anything. I know enough to explain what I know and what we've seen. And then we go on. If something new comes out, I'll figure that out too.
1: I think there's a lot of mind openness. Thank you. But I also feel that um, for the older, mainly gentlemen, you know, like I think we're the same generation. Mm -hmm. Our parents or your grandparents, my grandparents, like their job was also their identity. Yeah, yeah. Right? Whereas today we we work sometimes because we have to, to have purpose elsewhere. And then the millennials, they don't want to work. Like if they can have all the time, freedom, and the work, they're going to work as a means to an end. Right. And if they love what they do, great. Yeah. But chances are if they don't, it won't matter. Yeah. They want time and they want quality. You
0: know what I right? recently... It's different
1: over the generations.
0: Yeah. What I recently heard in a stat about millennials is that they're, they just love people. That they're they're they're, they'd rather be at home with their family than do any work at all, and they're willing to sacrifice the bigger house and the car and income to be with people. And so so. people call them lazy. They're not lazy.
1: They have a different set of priorities. Yeah,
0: like I'm a work guy. Like I like getting up in the early in the morning, go until everything's done, and then come home, and then I figure out what I also want to do. Like it's no sitting around. But that's not necessarily the best way to run your life.
1: No, but I mean it's a choice they're making, and it's okay. But I think the reason why older generations don't want to hear the science, is not they don't want to hear it, is that it makes them feel inadequate. Yeah. So when I go in and -hmm. I know I'm going to be meeting with an older generation, I always try to understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And then instead of telling them that what they're doing isn't right anymore, I try to understand why they felt it worked. Right. And then we have this conversation and then slowly they understand that it's not because they're not good. It's just because things change.
0: We understand better now than we did that.
1: Exactly. And it's just because there's, there's people out there that will just barge in and just discredit yeah. their experience. Now, if you've been doing this, something for 40 years, you know, you didn't go belly up, mm-hmm. right? You've done something right. Right? Right. You have site experience because the the site experience doesn't change much over time. No. It's materials change. It's mindset change. Systems. systems change. Labor change.
2: Yeah.
1: But the site experience hasn't changed much. Yeah. So they have that experience. The challenges that they run into are probably the same today as they were before. Right. So I really try to tap into those things to make them understand that I'm not here to tell them that they suck. Right. I'm here to tell you that together we're going to simplify your job, mm-hmm. and we're going to make it better for you. Right. So it's how you approach it, and I feel, yeah. and that's why I've never had any major issues most times. And but I did get the, <laughs> I did get a comment, is, um, and that's something that I've been kind of not battling with. But um, I feel that there's this stereotype that smart people have to be not so good looking <laughs> and good looking people can't be so smart and it's I'm mostly
0: like, true right <laughs> well, is it no, true I don't think or so. is it
1: somebody fitting a mold
2: <laughs>
0: yeah
1: right is there is there this line that is so defined that you can't be you know top canadian engineer and have style
0: right you know what? I, I think that with the millennials is going away a little it bit. Is, um, but yeah. the old generation was that way for sure. And I grew up with those people and believed that for a long time. You see a pretty girl come on site and I'm like, ah, she doesn't she know nothing sharp. about construction. Yeah. And she might be one of the brightest people, right? And so yeah. we, we live and we learn. And, you know, you find this old, dumpy, grumpy contractor. he must and
1: know what he's doing. He's for, got a nice yeah, plumber that's but just not right? true. <laughs> yeah, no. But I feel that that's, that's the bigger roadblock yeah is you know i'm i don't think of myself as a ugly person if you were a
0: dumpy old yeah a yeah, uh, girl they might believe you a little bit more i totally and I wonder if that's
1: from. way you know you get the lady engineers and they do dress a certain way because they want to have that credibility yeah whereas i well people that know me know that i kind of go in the other direction i i Push the status quo. Mm-hmm. I get in there with my fashion designer clothes, my funky shoes, my nice hairdo's, and and I get the credibility anyways. Right. And it just proves a point. It's posture. Like my husband said his best, said it best, right? You can have this really elegant woman in a cocktail dress. Like, think, you know, I think Angelina Jolie can have a very sophisticated look, like in the tourist. Yes. But then, if she starts speaking and she starts, she sounds like the trailer park,
2: <laughs> or she walks with
1: her her shoulders all bent over, or she yeah. trips on her heels, or then it doesn't matter how well she looks sitting down mute, right? Right? Yeah. So I feel posture is a lot of things, like the animal kingdom. It doesn't. It's not the size of the dog, right? It's the posture,
0: right? I, right. I agree with you wholeheartedly. You can sell a lot of stuff by coming in confidently. Yeah. Uh, We've talked a lot about sales today. One of the things because I'm now training the salespeople underneath me was that if they're having a bad day or fighting with their wife or they slept in, anything that's going on, I'm like, go find something to put you in a good mood. You don't walk into a customer's house angry, frustrated, sad, depressed. You just don't. Turn on the comedy network on your radio. Go download a podcast that's funny and you listen do to that for 10 to, to get yourself into a better um, uh, mindset because mm-hmm. that's the difference between selling and not selling is that if you come in there and you're just blurting out the words you always do, because that's what salespeople do. It's they just yeah, repeat they themselves. Up. Up, <laughs> that's it. You're just <laughs> vomiting up words mm-hmm. that you've done every day for Five hurt. years, right? It's just, it, it is. Like, I'm literally like a wind-up toy. Say something about spray foam, and I go, this is a, to- a story you tell, and that's the one I go, I'm go. i going to tell you. Um, but you can't do it in a bad mood. You have no. to sell it like a comedian or like someone having a speech every day. You have to be excited about it. You have to be, you know, on board. And it has to be true. It and has to be true. It has to be true every time.
1: Because that's not even words. It's just pure energy.
0: right. Yeah. You don't
1: have to talk to somebody to know that they don't want to be there. Like,
0: People know you're full of shit when you're full of shit. Most times. You, can, you can dupe they'll a few. Get the
1: dun- they'll get the feeling like, yeah. Yeah.
0: There's yep. some swarmy guys out there that know the right words. that will sell crap to you. But mm-hmm. yeah. just Just be truthful. Just solve a problem. That's all you've got to yep. do. Yeah. Well, we're uh, like an hour and forty minutes into this is there anything we're missing? like I feel like we could sit here for another two hours Ooh, yeah. and finish the <laughs> bottle of wine and uh oh well, I
1: only have one glass and...
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> I still have to drive myself home. yeah,
0: that's all good.'re you blocks away. This is walking distance it's and air still, no <laughs> no um, I'm trying to think no. Let's call it always time for another podcast. Yeah, we can come back another time and talk about uh, whatever else we want to talk about. Because when we were out for beers the other night and we had dinner, we talked about parenting, we talked about yeah. um, everything. So there's a whole lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of stuff. We'll call this one a podcast. Uh, so everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. We really appreciate everybody that shares our stuff. That's the only way that we're going to grow and uh, into something more that you guys want to see. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Eric, you want to roll the outro? said it right hey everyone thank you for listening thank you for sharing this podcast is over